Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and today we are bringing you our second hidden gem from our summer series of reposts. This one is Kristen Walker, who we all know and love, and she's actually in our first Bible study, When God Shows Up, Discovering God in Stories of Hope. I know when I first heard Kristen's story, I thought it was so powerful. She really speaks on this concept of walking in freedom from fear. So if you've even gone through the Bible study, Discovering God in Stories of Freedom, this is going to really resonate with you as she really discusses a lot of the truths found in that Bible study as well. I'm excited for our Patreon insiders because today, Amy Grody continues with her series on grief. And we've had so many requests for stories and insight into grief. And Amy's just done a great job of just talking about how to bring that grief to the throne of the Father, but also how to minister to others who have gone through similar situations. So don't miss out. If you want to become a Patreon insider, you can simply click the note in our show notes below, or you can go to storytellerslive.org and join today. Thank you so much, Patreon insiders. And here is Kristen. wants to pray like during this for me that would be awesome (laughs) if you feel so led at any time um I could probably use it so I was born and raised in Birmingham but I didn't have I guess what I would think of as a typical like Bible Belt upbringing um I wasn't raised in a Christian home we never went to church and we didn't really talk about God in my home so it just wasn't something that was in our life my parents divorced when I was three years old We did kind of like the every other weekend thing with my dad, and I was always a big daddy's girl, and I'm still real close to my dad, but growing up, it was just always more me and my mom and my brother, because that was just our daily life. The three of us were really close. My mom was just like this most amazing woman. She was just loving and um, empathetic, and I always knew that I could come to her with anything, and that she would just listen and not judge, and she just gave just great advice. And just everyone who knew her just loved her so much. Um, But she just really struggled. She was bipolar. Some of my earliest memories of my mom are just of her crying all the time. I can remember being very young and her making it known to my brother and I that basically we were the only reason that she was still around and that she lived for us, which I think to her, She just was telling us how much she loved us, but it really just put a lot of pressure on me um, to keep her up um, and to take care of her. And, you know, she had times where she wasn't depressed, and those times were great, but when she was, it was just really hard. I can remember probably when I was 8 or 10, um, she had a really bad depression, and she locked herself in her room for weeks, maybe months. And I remember just sitting at the door, just crying, begging her to come out. And she wouldn't, we would have to call my grandparents to come and take us to school a lot. But during that time, I just made sure that, you know, I made good grades and I didn't get in trouble. And I was there to take care of her and um, anything that needed to be done in the house or, um, you know, I was emotional support for her and just really carried a lot of weight at a really young age. But we were best friends. We had a very close, codependent relationship. And by the time I was in middle school, you know, I dealt with some bullying at school. And um, it really just drew me 
further into myself and away from everyone but my mom. And I kind of just created this like safety net around myself and her um, and just kind of built up a lot of walls, not letting really anybody else um, in. Even a lot of our family wasn't aware of really what was going on in our home um, because I wanted to protect her. I didn't want anybody to know um, what was happening. When I was 16, I was dating a guy that was um, and he had gone off to the army and he was graduating from boot camp. And I convinced my mom to go to his graduation. I kind of, as the days leading up to it went on, I was convincing her like to leave earlier and earlier so we could get there. And we ended up leaving like in the middle of the night to drive up there. And we had gotten just inside the um, like Georgia state line, like in Carrollton. And the roads were slick. And there was a pickup truck that had lost control coming onto the interstate. And he had hit the median and was out in the middle of the road. And I was driving the car, and I didn't see the truck until right before I hit it. And then traveling right behind us was an 18-wheeler that then hit us. So I was knocked out by the impact. And I remember waking up probably just a few minutes later and talking to my mom, her telling me that, you know, everything was going to be okay and that she loved me and that, you know, we're just going to wait for the paramedics and they were going to come and they're going to get us out and we're going to go home. And I think I lost consciousness again. And when I woke back up, the, um, the firefighters, paramedics were there and they're flashing a light in my eyes. And they told me, you know, they were going to get me out, but that my mom was pinned worse than I was. So they were going to get her out first and then they were going to come back and get me out. So I said, okay. And um, the next thing I hear like the saw and my mom's screaming and then silence then they came and they got me out and they took me to the hospital. And I remember just asking them, everybody that I saw, like, where's my mom? Is she already at the hospital? Is she okay? And they wouldn't tell me. So they had called my family and they came. When they got there, they told me, you know, that she had not made it out of the car. And of course, that's when I realized that her screaming was when she died. So of course, this like, safety zone that I had created for her and for me was just gone in an instant. Just my whole world turned upside down. I moved in with my dad, and he's just the sweetest daddy in the whole world. I'm so, so lucky to have him. He really took over the role of mom and dad, and he did such a great job doing that. I was just lost. I began... um, drinking a lot, drugs, boys, just just really self-destructing. Probably for about the next five years, I just did anything. It was, it was like I, I craved connection and love, and I wanted it so badly, but I didn't want anybody to actually see me or know me. So I pushed people who really loved me and cared away, and I put on a face in front of them. And I searched for those things from people that I knew weren't really going to give it to me. And I didn't realize at the time the damage that I was doing to myself. I, I didn't know anything else to do. If you talked to people that knew me then, like in my job and my family, they always told me how proud they were of me. And how strong I was and 
that it was amazing that I was so successful with everything that I had been through because I worked as a hairstylist and I bought my first home at 20 through all of this time. And people were just amazed by me. And they had no idea what I was really doing and how I was really living and how much I just hated myself. So I built up more walls and pushed away everyone and just became just so full of shame for the life that I was living and the way that I was hiding. But I just, I couldn't let anybody see that I was struggling because I had to be strong. I had always had to be strong. And I had to be strong then too. During this time, I met Brian. And I guess I was probably 20 maybe when I met Brian. And um, he was dating somebody at the time. Um, But we just kind of became friends. Um, I mean, we were running around in the same crowds, partying and stuff. But like he just, it's like he saw something in me that nobody else saw. And he pushed to like, figure out more of me he was he would say he was intrigued by me um and that he saw that I was different than all those other people and so once he was single he started asking me out and of course I did not go out with him (laughs) um I was so afraid that I knew that as unhealthy as I was and as self-destructive as I was that I would ruin any relationship that I would ever have with him but I was also afraid that once he really got to know everything there was to know, he wouldn't want to be with me anymore. So I just kept telling him, no, like, we're just friends, you know, it wouldn't be good for us to be together. But he's a persistent guy. <laughs> and um, he never, he never gave up and he kept pushing and digging and digging. And eventually I grew to trust him and I kind of let some of my walls come down. Um, and we started dating and we were married in 2009. We had um, a son, Ethan. Um, he's about to be eight. He was born in 2011. We fixed up the house that I had bought and um, sold it and moved into the home where we are now that we think is our forever home. So 2014, we're just kind of, you know, living living the life, kind of living the dream that, you know, if I had a checklist that I could check off. Like I would check off everything on that list, but I wasn't happy. And I didn't like myself, still didn't like myself. I still had just so much shame and fear that I just kind of went along the day to day. I got pregnant with our second child, a daughter, Audrey. And when I was 34 weeks pregnant with her, I started having some pain in my rib cage under my rib cage and it was started on a Friday and I had my daughter's appointment on Monday so of course being me I was just like I'm fine it's not you know we got a lot going on this weekend we're just gonna keep going and I'm just I'm just gonna be fine um but I was in agony it got so bad over the weekend that we called the nurse and um she said you know go check your blood pressure if it's high you need to come in and if it's not then you know, maybe try to take like some gas X or something and and you'll probably be fine to your appointment. So my blood pressure was fine, but I just was still in so much pain and nothing helped. So Monday I went in for my appointment. The nurse checked my blood pressure 
And then she checked it again. And then she had somebody else come and check my blood pressure. It was about five times they checked my blood pressure when she said, it's a little high. Um, And I was like, okay. And like inside, I'm just like burning. Like, oh my gosh, they told me that if my blood pressure was high, then I need to come in. And now it's high. And she said, we're just going to send you to ultrasound and just make sure that everything's okay. So go to ultrasound. After that, I'm in the doctor's office and she comes in and she says, you know, your blood pressure is a little high, but everything on the ultrasound looks fine. And as soon as she said that, I just burst into tears. And I mean, if you could see the look on her face, because I mean, every appointment I go in, I'm like, everything's fine. I'm good. Yeah. Feel great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So she was like, what is going on? I kind of told her about the weekend and she said, this is really not like you. I think everything looks like it's fine, but let's just send you down to labor and delivery and run some tests and um, monitor you and just kind of see. So I go down there and I had three-year-old little boy with me. Um, And so I'm trying my hardest to just like keep it together for him. But I went ahead and called Brian and I was like, you're probably going to need to come down here. Probably going to be hooked up these machines for a long time and I can't chase him around. So he came, and we ended up calling somebody to come get Ethan because it just got to be too much even for both of us. And the nurses kind of kept coming in and, you know, check in. They were monitoring me, and they would just kind of say, you know, I mean, this kind of stuff just happens. You probably just have gas. Like, they're going to come. They're just probably going to say it's acid reflux, and you could just go home, and it's just probably not going to be anything to worry about. And so I'm sitting there, and it made me, like, mad. And I'm like, really? They're really going to come in here and tell me I'm fine. And they're just going to tell me to go home. And I'm going to have to feel like this. And I was just so mad. So Brian had to go take Ethan out um, to the parking lot so he could leave. And while he was gone, the doctor came in. And she said, we've got your test back. And you have something called HELP syndrome. I had never heard of HELP. Most people that I've talked to have never heard of HELP. But she explained that the reason that I had been in so much pain was because um, my liver was shutting down and the high blood pressure, as well as um, there was protein in my urine and um, my platelet count was really, really low. And she said, we're the only way that we can stop this is to deliver your baby. And I told her, no, (laughs) we can't deliver the baby. It's too soon. She's not ready to be born yet. And she said, the baby's fine. She's going to be fine. You know, she's going to be six weeks early, but there's no reason why she won't be okay. She'll just spend some time in the NICU. She said, but you are not going to be okay if we don't deliver her now. Basically, she said that if I had not come in that day, neither one of us probably would have survived um, very much longer. So they start prepping me and they've put me on that terrible magnesium. I don't know if any of y'all have ever had that. It's the worst thing ever um and they're trying to pump fluids in me but she doesn't want to wait any longer so like I had almost no fluids in my system when they took me in for the c-section so I'd gone in like an hour's time from like they're gonna send me home and I'm gonna be so mad to like please send me home please just send me home so I had the c-section and of course they you know, they get her out, and I'm, it's awful. Like, I can hear the doctors whispering about, like, how much blood I'm losing and, you know, vomiting. And the nurse anesthetist, she's just, like, try, keeps just putting stuff in me. And um, so the baby's born, and they lay her on my chest, of course, for, like, what, five seconds. And then they take her, and Brian goes with her, and I'm just in that room by myself. 
so the doctor finishes up and she tells me afterwards that it was even more of a miracle than we thought because my placenta had already begun to detach. So we probably only had hours. So um, I spent the next week in the hospital. Um, Audrey was in the NICU for a month. That was a roller coaster, of course, but she's, she's fine. She's wonderful and thriving. And so we get home. I think already leading up during my pregnancy, I was already in a depression, but it just got really, really bad afterwards. I can remember, like this time, at first, not only was I convincing everyone that I was fine, I had actually convinced myself that I was fine. And I remember um, Alita coming in and getting her hair done during that time and me talking to her about how like I was in this support group on Facebook and the women in that group were just so like, they just whine and cry. And I'm like, <laughs> everything's fine. You know, like I'm, but we're both alive and fine. Like everything turned out. Why I me? Mean, why would I be upset? And I really believed that until I didn't. And I just spiraled down and down and down. At this point, you know, I had all of those things on that checklist. But again, I wasn't happy. I didn't think that I deserved anything that I had. I was kind of waiting for it all to crumble. And I knew that when it did, it would be my fault. And of course, because of that, I felt so guilty that I had just been given this life that anyone would dream of. And I was miserable. It began to really affect my marriage and my children. It got to where I only had enough like fake in me to get through those couple of days of work each week and things that I couldn't get out of. And then I would just fall apart every other, all the rest of the time. And my sweet husband... He just, he tried so hard to help, and he just did everything that he could, and he loved me through it, but it just came to a point that he was defeated, and I just kept telling him that it had really had nothing to do with him. It was just me. I was worthless, not him. So it got, it ended up getting so bad, and I was so fearful of just living and getting hurt or ruining my life that I stopped leaving the house almost altogether. Just going to the grocery store was really difficult for me because I worried that just someone passing me in the aisle would see me and that they would know how broken I was and, heaven forbid, the cashier speak to me. Um, I just, so I just hid, and I felt like I had been hiding for my whole life, and I just didn't see how... I would ever be able to do anything else than that. So probably a couple of months before Audrey's first birthday, I kind of just got to that point where I was like, I have to make a decision here. I'm either just going to give all of this up and I'm just going to go get in the bed and I'm just going to be done. I'm going to lose it all. Or I've got to get some help. Luckily, I chose help. (laughs) And I started seeing a counselor. I had seen many counselors in the past and um, always kind of got far enough where I had like the Band-Aid and I could just keep going. Okay, I'm good now. Thanks. But this time I just really decided like I have, I have to do this for real. And so I started to, you know, feel better, get a little more confidence. 
And she encouraged me that I really just needed to start stepping outside of my comfort zone. And I was like, hmm, you know, I think I need to do a little bit more work here before I start that. Um, And she was like, no, like, you're not going to feel like it and you're not going to want to. But sometimes the action has to come first. And the more you just do the action, you'll then start to feel like doing it on your own. And I was like, okay. Um, So so, um, I started just like being around family more and, you know, seeing friends again, going to the grocery store, like pumped up, like I can do this. But I really kind of got to a point where I felt like I was kind of holding back and I was still really hiding because I was scared. But I was like, okay, I've got to like really dive off the deep end here and do something like really, really scary. And I remembered that a few months before, a neighbor had invited me to a small group at her house. And I should just say, by this point in my life, I didn't just like not know God, but I really wasn't interested. I had kind of made up my own mind about who God was, um, and I didn't want anything to do with it. I thought that Christians were judgmental and hypocrites and self-righteous, and I was not afraid to tell people that. I just didn't want any part of that. And so when she asked, I was like, yeah, Friday I'll work that day. Thanks, though. And I really didn't know her, but I remembered that. And I thought, you know, she lives across the street from me. I won't be able to back out of this. Like, I have to give myself no way out, because if I do have a way out, I'll take it. And so I told myself, like, I'm just going to call her, and I'm going to see, like, is she doing a small group now? And I know it's through a church, but I'll just ignore that. (laughs) And I'll just go in, like, with the idea that I'm just going to meet new people and I'm going to put myself kind of out there um, and actually talk to strangers. And then all the rest of that will just be, we're not going to worry about that. So I go that first week and um, did not know, did not ask. It was a freedom group, guys. (laughs) How many of y'all know about freedom at um, Church of the Highlands? But I was basically like, God set me up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I go in there and um, it was just like the meet you know the meet everybody group we weren't starting the um, curriculum that day and there was four leaders and I remember they just kind of took turns telling like their story and um, they were just really honest about what they struggled with and I just kind of sat there like some of these women have been through as much as I have, some of them maybe more, but they're one, talking about it in front of a bunch of people they don't know, and two, like, joyful, and they have a light inside of them, and the way they're talking about God is not what I think about God, so I just kind of started going, hmm, maybe I've been wrong? Meh. Um, (laughs) Um... but I knew that whatever they had, I wanted it. And so I left the group that day, and I go home, and my husband comes home from work, and he, he knew that I was going to a group. Um, and he said, what kind of group did you go to? And I was like, what do you mean? I just went to a small group. He's like, no, like, you're acting weird. 
<laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? How am I doing? He's like, no, in a good way. Like, what kind of group did you go to? And so I told him about it, and um, he found a group, and he joined. And he had been for years trying to get me to go to church. Um, he thought it would be good for the kids, and, you know, he wanted to start going, and I just wouldn't. Um, so he jumped on it when I was like, yeah, go get a group, you know? <laughs> um, and so I kind of decided that I'm not kind of— I'm not sure about this, but I'm just going to have an open mind. You know, maybe I was wrong, and I kind of want whatever Kool-Aid they're drinking, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna just see what happens. And I was kind of at a point where almost willing to lose everything, so what do I really have to lose now? And so I decided that I was just going to go in there, and I was just going to be open, and I was just going to put everything that I had into that group, and I did. And I allowed myself to be vulnerable for the first time ever. I always thought that vulnerability was a weakness. Um, and I thought that being sensitive and being emotional was a weakness. But the more I did it and the more I healed from that, I started to learn that being vulnerable is strength. And that for somebody to be willing to do that, open themselves up, is so much harder than hiding behind a mask. During those weeks, I just... I took in everything that I could um, and learned as much as I could about God and who He was and realized that I was completely wrong about Him and His heart um, and His love for us. And I just began to feel free. And I could physically feel the walls crumbling off of me. So that was three years ago, February, that I started that group. And my life looks completely different now than it did then. I feel like I have that light inside of me that I craved from those women. And sometimes it's hard for me to believe because so many things haven't changed. You know, like my past is all those traumatic things that happened to me, like they still happened. And all of those terrible decisions that I made, like I still made those decisions. And I still struggle with these same things every single day. Shame and just like not thinking a whole lot of myself a lot of times. Fear. Like I feel like I'm just constantly just like fighting this like being afraid of everything. But those things aren't the biggest thing in my life anymore because God is. And they seem so small in comparison. So now when I have those feelings come up, I feel like God just shows them to me immediately. And I'm able to see them for what they are. And I can take, why am I afraid? Why am I feeling shame? Why do I want to hide? And I can line it up next to what God says. And when I do that, I'm like, this is just lies. Like, it's not even real. Um, and I'm able to kind of um, move past it more quickly. Sometimes it's harder than other times. But um, I know that I have that power now. So, like, I still really enjoy solitude. <laughs> I really like to be alone and um, in my own thoughts. But I've learned that that's okay and that that's healthy for me. Um, but it gets to a point where it's not. And I just have to be able to see when I'm hiding and when, I'm, when my solitude is me hiding or isolating myself because I'm afraid of something and... Um, when it turns into that, then I just know that I have to just get around my people. And 
I have so many people now. <laughs> um, the other thing is I kind of talked about vulnerability, and that's kind of been a big part of my healing is just allowing myself to be open. And I feel like now God just lays stuff on my heart a lot, and He just kind of tells me just to share it. So I've always been like a journaler, but I never shared anything, you know, that I wrote. It was just always a way of me kind of working through it. But now when I journal, a lot of times I, sh- I share what I write on Instagram or wherever. And every single time I do, I get a phone call or a DM or a text message of somebody saying, like, I really needed to hear that today, right now. I've had strangers message me. I've had one time I had a girl that I had only met a couple of times through friends, like, call me. And we talked on the phone for probably an hour after I had just posted something that, you know, normally I would have never let anybody know that I was feeling that. But to see the effect that it has on other people when I do. But the surprising thing is the effect that it has on me and how much I heal each time. And when I share something I'm struggling with, the power that it has is completely taken away. So I can see how God is working on me all the time and softening me and making me more sensitive. You know, I've always had this just tough exterior and I want people to think nothing affects me. You know, I've always kind of had that attitude. But it's funny, (laughs) the other day, um, this week, I was at the coffee shop and I saw Denise actually sitting at the um, bar and I just walked up and I just gave her a hug. Y'all, I don't hug. (laughs) I do not hug. But I didn't even think about it. Like, I just, I saw her, and I just wanted to give her a hug. And I went up, and I gave her a hug. And afterwards, I was like, what just happened? (laughs) But I liked the hug. I felt good about the hug. (laughs) Um, But that's just God showing me, like, he's softening me. But that does not leave this room. I'm still not a hugger. But, you know, that's what he does. He shows me things that um, I am since I'm so emotional. Why I had that, you know, like, it's a good thing. So fear. I spent my whole life avoiding life, avoiding new experiences, avoiding relationships, avoiding my dreams just because I was scared. And that's the one that still is just like every day. Like, I have to just make that decision to fight that. But now when something makes me really scared, I get excited. <laughs> um, and I run towards it, which is the the storyteller's thing. Like that day, I was like, eh, I don't know, that's really scary. And it really was like an hour later that I'm like, I'm so scared. I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I know now that the things that scare me the most when I do them, that's when I see God. And I want to see God as much as I possibly can. And I want other people to see God. And I want other people to have what I have now. So I just run towards it. Obviously, sometimes fear is legit and you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but, um, but if you know God says that it's okay, then you should totally do it. So just those like tangible reminders that I get when I do things like this that I really don't want to do and I'm terrified of. But I know that when I leave here, like God's presence will be known to me and hopefully to all of you as well. So my verse is 2 Timothy 1.7, and I'm going to read through 8. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so that's what I've decided to do. Just share in, share my suffering and know that I am still afraid and I'm timid and I'm not powerful, but that God is and that his spirit is in me now. So I have full access to that power and I choose to use it. One more thing. As I was preparing this week, um, a pastor at my church um, posted something on Facebook and um, it was all about fear. And I was like, hmm. Um, And this was the quote that he had on there, and it's from um, Rick Warren, and it says, um, Fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from becoming what God intends for you to be. You must move against it with weapons of faith and love. We hope that you love hearing these hidden gems this summer and that you can learn something, even if you've listened to them before, that in listening a second time, God shows you something brand new from every story. So as always, thank you for listening to Storytellers. Be sure to share the stories with friends, to rate it, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, especially during the summertime when people are looking for stories to hear. We are very, very grateful, and it does help people find our stories. And don't forget, if you want new content this summer, it's all over at our Patreon Insiders, where you can get bonus stories, you can get some Q&A questions, you can get various things all summer long as we do these Hidden Gem reposts. So thanks for listening. Katie, Lindy, and I will be back with a Season 6 recap on August 16th, and you'll get to hear what God has in store for Season 7. So we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.